Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, so we're in Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to talk about tonight. It's going to be Be Courageous and Strong. And as I told you last time, uh, I'm going to go slow through chapter 1. I will actually take three weeks in chapter 1, and this is my second week in chapter 1. Last week we covered three verses. Tonight we're going to cover verses 4 through 9, and that's all we're going to get to. And we're going to look at this, this idea of being courageous and being strong. So, so just by way of uh, you know, some quick review, remember that Joshua has now taken up the mantle. He is the new leader of Israel. And they have had Moses for these 40 years traveling to the desert. But Moses has gone now up to Mount Nebo and he dies up there. And they've crossed. Moses got to see them cross before he dies. And now Joshua is the man. And some of the things we talked about last time that God tells Joshua, one of the biggest things, he says, um, wherever you step, Joshua, wherever you walk, Joshua, that, that, that's yours. I, I've given it to you. Now, I will say sidebar real quick. Be careful with statements like that, thinking that that pertains to you all the time. That whatever you think you're going to claim and do. And that. No, there's this uh, thing called narrative something. I can't remember the theological term. But there's specifics to certain people in Scripture. You can't just take that and say, oh, that's for me. Wherever I step, it's going to be mine. And I'm going to own that. And I'm going to own that. So be careful with stuff like that, okay? But he tells Joshua, because Joshua was leading the people, a couple million people, into this promised land. You know, wherever you step, I'm going to give it to you. Now, let's go back. In time, you can keep your marker here, and let's go back in time. Go to Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Exodus 23, and I'm sure Joshua knew these instructions because they were given to them uh, through Moses from God. Now look at Exodus 23. When you're there, say, I'm in Exodus 23. Okay, so look at verse 29 and verse 30, and watch one of God's earlier instructions pertaining to entering the promised land. And it says, I will not, this is God speaking, I will not drive them out before you in a single year, meaning the enemies in the promised land, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little, say little by little, until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. Now you could turn back to Joshua 1. Let me talk a little bit about that. So God gives these instructions, and He says, when you get to the land, I'm not going to, it's not going to be like that quick. It's going to take time. In fact, I'm not even, it's going to take, I'm not even going to drive them out in a year. It's going to be this little by little, by little, by little, that I'm going to drive the enemies out of the land as you conquer that land. Now, the, the question is, you know, wh- why would God say things like that? Well, <clears throat> have you ever noticed, and I'm going to make quick statements and let me expand upon it more. Have you ever noticed when you walk into anything, you have to grow in it? Has anyone ever noticed that? You can't just walk in it and like, here I am and I got the whole thing. and I would, you, you have to grow in these things. The other idea, I think, that why it's little by little by little in a practical sense is that um, that... If God, you ever notice that God does this, He just gives us little by little by little, 
And by doing that, he creates a dependence, our dependence on him. You ever notice that? Because if he gave us everything right away, in our, in our fallen state, we'd probably say, not purposely, but we'd kind of like, I don't need God as much right now. Yeah, and we all go through that, right? Where we're not quite fully engaged or on fire all the time. But if he keeps us little by little by little. So let me give you some application off that idea of not right away, little by little. Um, have you noticed in your own life and the lives of others, there's, there are no overnight successes? Have you ever noticed that? But don't we think there are overnight successes? Don't we look at somebody and we think, man, they got that and this and that. But you don't know the backstory on it, do you? You don't know the struggle. You don't know what it took to get to that place where, you know, and like, I don't know if you've ever read the book Good to Great, but in the book Good to Great, it talks about businesses and talks about pushing the, the giant flywheel up the hill, up the hill, up the hill, and the struggle of it, and the struggle, and the struggle to keep pushing and pushing, and it wears you out, but you keep pushing that business, and you keep pushing that endeavor, and then you finally get to the top where the flywheel gets over the top, and now it just starts to roll on its own um, fruition right there, and that's the way life is. You don't see the backside of how much it took to get there. You only see the person's victories and their successes, but, but it took a lot. And as, you're, and as it's going little by little, you ever notice that you yourself are maturing more and more and more? The struggle and the pressures are maturing you. So finally, when there is breakthrough, you're able to handle it. Okay, let's, let's older people in this room. You have set up your retirement. You've got hopefully plenty of money. But if you had this much money in retirement and everything else, when you were 19, what would have happened? It had been a big mistake, right? You've been blowing that money everywhere. But you grew in it, and you understood how to handle it, how to appreciate those things. Now, let's go back to the little by little. The little by little is the maturing. So little by little, I'm depending on God, and I'm maturing Emotionally, I'm maturing spiritually as I'm progressing in whatever I'm doing. I think that's why, I think that those are a couple reasons why God um, uh, takes him in there and he says, uh, little by little by little, guys, little by little by little. Now, he tell, there stands Joshua now, and he tells Joshua, I'm giving it to you little by little. So Joshua knows, therefore, by the little by little by little statement, there's going to be some fighting. There are going to be some battles. This is not going to be the easiest thing. It's not like God is saying, well, I'm going to, you go in there, walk a mile, then wait there, wait a year, walk another mile. No, no, you're going to, little by little, because you've got battle after battle after battle, and you're going to have to fight. And it's going to be a battle to get there. So with that said, that's, a, that's just an introductory, introductory thoughts for you. So let's pick it up in uh, verse 4. It says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, and that would be the Mediterranean, will be your territory. Now, <clears throat> now let me just share briefly before, before I read it. Do you know that um, as you read this right here, if you want to look at a map, if, you're by, if you have a study Bible, you look on maps in the back, if you have those, go do yourself a favor, go back there and see how much land that actually is. Don't do it now. It'll take you time. But go see what Israel was supposed to have versus then look on a map today and see what they actually have. Because what they're supposed to have and what they actually have is not even close. In fact, if you go to Israel, one of the things you will learn 
is that Israel is so small that the narrowest spot, you know, here's north to south, the narrowest spot east to west is only 70 miles. You could drive from one end of the country to the other end, it's 70 miles. That is a very, very narrow sliver of land compared to what it says was supposed to be theirs. They only at one point, you know, off the top of my head, I think it was in Solomon's day, they encompassed the whole area of land that was theirs, but not for long. Because then after Solomon, they go into idolatry, all kinds of things, and then they begin to lose stuff because they're not following what God says to follow. So they never permanently possessed the entire promised land. Now, verse 5 and verse 6. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Now, he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do you know how many times he's going to tell Joshua that in chapter 1? Three times. He's going to tell him three times, be strong and courageous. Now, first bullet point in your notes, and that is, I can be courageous because God is with me. And I think this is a very important point, more so than ever in my spiritual life of 44 years with the way things are now. You just got to have a lot of boldness now. You got to know that God is with you. You got to be courageous. Now, how will, question, how will God be with Joshua? He stated how. How? Just as he's been with Moses. So I'm going to be with you, Joshua, the same way that I've been with Moses. Now, here's the cool part. Has Joshua, over the last 40 years, seen in real time how God was with Moses? Yes, he has. He's seen it all. He's watched every every step of the way. He's watched God with Moses against Pharaoh. He's watched, he's watched God with Moses as he brings water from a rock. He's watched Moses part the Red Sea. He's watched these things. He's watched Moses up on the mountain there in the Amalekite fight, hands up, and they win the battle. Just as I've been with Moses, I'm be with you. So he's got a real life example. This gives us a great practical idea for our life. If you, and, and, and this is so, it's so true of life. That you have to, if you want to get further in life, in whatever field or however it is in life, you've got to connect with people that are a little bit smarter than you and have gone before you in the direction you want to go. You know what I'm talking about? It's just a wise thing to do. Because they have found, just from a sociological perspective, that some people stay stuck right where they're at in every economic strata because they're isolated from people around them, such as in West Virginia and the mountains, those people are living in many places very backwards and in poverty because they're so disconnected from society. Hey, did you guys know that? And so you've got to connect with people that have gone ahead of you, that, that know things that you don't know that have gone before you and they can help you in real time. Now let me tell you that from a personal experience. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so I, I'm a real fortunate person. Um, I, I got to experience some cool stuff in my life and still do 
but the church and everything that there is, and I remember stepping out. I remember God talking to me in 1984 that you're going to be a senior pastor, and, and you know I was I was like 28 years old or what, what was I? Something like that, maybe not even that. <clears throat> yeah, 28. And uh, then in 1991, I I quit my position and I walked out to nothing to start the church. The Assemblies of God says, go for it. They gave me $3,200, go do it. That's nothing, guys. That's nothing. And 22 people went out to launch this thing and you started from there and, and you know, scary, scared out of my mind. I had a wife, I had two kids, I had a house payment, had a car payment. And, you know, am I, am I out of my mind doing these things and the struggle of it all? And, but everything worked out. And God blessed, and I can't believe that we have this campus, and we own the Harupa campus, and we have the Riverside now campus, and we have the, and we have the Zacatecas. We built that church in Mexico, and all these things. And it's like, but how did I get to that place? How, besides God's voice speaking to me, saying, go do this, how did it happen? Let me tell you. I had a very, very important mentor that at the time in my life growing up, I never realized it. I did not realize it till I was older and I was probably about 20 years into this place here. Now I'm 31 and a half years into it. But that was my mother. See, my mother was a very um, ambitious person. But she never had opportunity to be ambitious most of her life. My mother used to pack oranges at the orange packing house, Sunkist. Anyone remember that place? My mother did that for decades, for years. My father... My father used to run picking crews in Orange County, and then he eventually ended up being a custodian at Naval Weapons and Narco. I watched my mother, who was very ambitious. My dad, not ambitious. He could have lived in a shack his whole life and been happy. That's my dad. And be perfectly, perfectly content. He'd be fine. But not my mom. Oh, no. She had dreams. So when my mom was 52 years old, and I was about 13, she finally did what she wanted to do. She always wanted to open up a Mexican restaurant. And so she finally said, I'm going for it. And she was a really good cook. Boy, I miss that food. And she went for it and uh, launched out, left, you know, saved up her money, bought somebody else's business, changed the recipes, changed the name overnight, everything. And in weeks, she was successful. It was like that fast, that fast. And it changed the course of our entire family. Because she was a highly... So, you ever hear me say that joke so I could stick it to society that I'm Mexican privilege? You ever hear me say stuff like that? And I do that just to... Because society is so out of its mind. Um, I say that just to, to get people. But it's also... I really was. I grew up with everything I ever wanted. I mean, the money started rolling in. And I could do whatever I want. It was great, man. But the whole picture was that I saw somebody do it. I saw somebody leave everything, and even later in life doing it. So when I did it, at age 35, when I left everything to do it, I didn't realize at the time that I did have a mentor. I did have somebody that I saw do it in real time in my life. And there was something in that experience over that time frame that I, that I truly believe gave me the impetus and the confidence and the security and the, the, the knowing that this can be done. That you can walk out from nothing and you can take a risk and you can go for it if God tells you to do it. Any amens on that one? So, so the whole idea is God is with us. Let's stay on that idea because I want to expand it further. So Joshua, he tells him, God's going to be as I've been with Moses, I'm going to be with you. So let's go a step further. 
And so we understand this more. So those of you who go to the men's breakfast fellowships, God bless you. Those of you who don't yet, you need to start going. Amen, guys? Amen. So we have a great time. It's an hour and a half, and you're going to have a great time. And I guarantee you will leave fed the Word of God and full. Amen? Amen. Now, we're studying Elijah. Talk about God being with somebody. And Elijah, he faces off with Ahab a couple times. And the, 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 um, the, the continuous theme that you find why Elijah can stand up to the king of Israel, this idolatrous king, is Elijah says, whenever he confronts Ahab, he tells him, um, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. In other words, he's telling Ahab, God is standing next to me right now. And that's why I'm not afraid. And that's, that's why I, I'm not scared. I know God is with me. And at what point are you and I going to believe that? At what point are we going to believe when it says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? That he's always with you. That wherever you go, God is with you. At what point does that happen where you have the security of knowing that whatever you're at, whatever, God is with you. Now, bigger question in that. How can I really, really, really know God is with me besides reading my Bible? I'll tell you how. You at some point, God does impress thoughts upon your mind, does he not? Okay, and once he impresses thoughts upon your mind, if you can back it up with scripture, now you know this is something you must step out and do, correct? How will I know God is with me by, not just by reading my Bible, I'll tell you how. You step out. You've got to step out when God tells you to. Because when you step out and do that, now it's dependence, is it not? Now it's risk. Now I'm going to find out if God can be trusted. Case in point. They're out in the, out in the, uh, out in the water in the Sea of Galilee. And the storm kicks up the disciples. And they're at the halfway point. If you read all the synoptic gospels, it's the point of no return. Jesus said, go to the other side. They go. But they get stuck in a big storm. And it's a big storm. And remember, Jesus doesn't get in the boat that one time. And now he comes walking on the water. They think it's a ghost, you know, because they're so spiritual. And so he comes by. And then, and then he says, it's me. And then Peter goes, if it's you, then what? Bid me to come out of the water. I want to walk on water. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter steps out, though. He starts walking on water. And he's walking to Jesus. And all of a sudden, he looks at the wind and the waves. And I don't know how you see wind, but he sees it. And and then he sinks, and Jesus grabs him, saves him, and immediately they're in the boat. And people can criticize, and they can say, well, he sunk, that's why I never step out. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Let me tell you, when he got back in that boat, what do you think the other 11 disciples asked him? What was it like? <laughs> what was it like to step on water and walk? You see, because Peter said, Bid me to come out. He says, come on out. And he trusted and he stepped out. Now Peter knows from experience what 11 other guys in the boat can only theorize and that is this. You can trust God. You could trust God. If you step out, you could trust God. And that's what, that's what Joshua is going through right here. Now, can I take a step further? Because I really like this idea, okay? Because you have no choice. You're going to have to hear it. All right. Now, we know in Hebrews 13, the, the writer references back and says that basically, he references back and says that God, Jesus, will never leave you and he'll never 
forsake you. Do you remember that? He's never going to leave you, and, he, and He's never going to forsake you. If you ever, and I know probably in the room watching, there's people that have done this who hasn't. Have you ever sunk into a season of time where you feel like God has abandoned you? Yeah. Those times come. You feel like God has abandoned you. And yet it says, I'll never leave you, I'll never, I'll never abandon you. But we feel like it, don't we? But yet he says, I'll be with you, Joshua. I'm going to be with you. I'll never, I'm not leaving you. Emmanuel, God with us. He's in the present tense. He's always, but I feel like God's abandoned me. Where are you? Where are you, God? The question is, when I get into a season like that, what should I do? What should I do? Well, I, I got some advice for you. The first thing you need to do is not stay home by yourself in the dark eating bonbons, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. That's the worst thing you can do because then you're only stuck with your thoughts, right? And your thoughts are bad enough, are they not? So you have to get around other stronger believers and begin to talk. And you got to talk about what's going on in that head of yours. And then once you start talking, have you noticed this? That once you start talking and sharing these feelings, and I emphasize feelings, you ever notice it sounds right in your head, but it sounds stupid coming out of your mouth? Has anybody noticed that? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. It sounds dumb, huh? Why would I even think that way? But that's what you're thinking. So you need to get it out of your mouth because so you can hear how dumb you sound. Right? Because now when you hear that, now you can distinguish between what you feel and what you know to be true. Any amens? Because what you and I feel can lie to us, can it not? We have to go with what we know to be true, what's, what God's Word says. And then when you're in that realm right there, and now you're starting to discern these things, now you can, if you choose to, I choose to, now you can go even further back and find out where did the attachment come from? You've heard me talk about attachments, right? Attachments from the past. Lies from the past. Lying experiences from the past that affect us in the present. Now when you start to discern what you feel versus what you know, now you can think, why do I feel this way? Why is it every time something doesn't go right in my life or this goes wrong, I feel abandoned and I feel like God's not there and I go into a funk? Why is that? Well, if you go back and start thinking about things and you look at your family of origin, your experiences growing up, some of us had not so good family of origin experiences. Some of us had people walk out on us. Some of us had divorce situations with parents. All kind, who knows? In mine, my father was alcoholic. In that world, even though he stayed there, they never divorced. You have an emotional disconnection. And so you always, this is me, you always feel like God's going to leave you and going to abandon you. And you feel that way with people. It's a terrible, terrible feeling that I've had to fight tooth and nail to overcome in my life. But it's a feeling. It's not true. But it's a feeling that it feels as real as real gets. And there's 80 million of me, guys. There's 80 million adult children of, uh, 80 million children of alcoholics. They're both adults and they're children. There's a lot of us. A lot of them. Now, that's what I would do. So when you get in that funk and you get in that downtime, God, where are you? Don't stay by yourself. It's the worst thing you can do for yourself. You've got to force yourself to get out 
around people that will help you. Now, bullet point, second one. Here we go. Let me move on. And we're still in that same verse. I can be courageous and not fear man. I can be courageous and not fear man. He says to Joshua in that verse, No man will stand before you all the days of your life. No man will stand before you all the days of your life. No man will stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Now, okay. Just as I've been with Moses, I'm be with you. And don't worry, no man will stand before you. So it goes back to the Moses illustration. Moses went face to face, mano y mano, toe to toe, with the most powerful man on the planet, and his name is? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. He comes right in there. He's just standing face to face with Pharaoh. Are you kidding me? Pharaoh's magicians try to confront Moses, and they fail. Are you kidding me? Moses is a shepherd. He's got a stick, a staff, and, he, and here he comes. Now, so Joshua has watched Moses stand before the most powerful man and not even flinch, and not flinch. And he's seen God stand with, 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 with Moses against Pharaoh. You think that's important for Joshua to remember and know? Oh, you better believe it. I can tell you one instance why it's important to know. Because you remember when Moses sends out the 12 spies in Numbers 13? Remember that story? That event? And they come back and they're saying, it's a great land. Boy, it's so good there. But we got a problem. In that land, we saw the Anakim there from the line of the Nephilim, the giants of Genesis 6. We saw them there. These are big dudes. And we felt like grasshoppers in their eyes and we felt like grasshoppers in our own eyes. It's really bad. And they're terrified. And they talk a nation out of going and taking the land. That's why, and they wanted to go back. And that's why they had to stay 40 years in the wilderness. Did you know that? Because they did not have the They were knocking on the door of the promised land. And because of that, that whole generation has to die off. Now, <clears throat> so Joshua remembers that. Joshua remembers there will be giants in the land because those 12 spies saw giants. And those guys were there. So when God tells Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You think that's important? Because he knows those big men, those Anakim from the, of the Nephilim leading to the Rephaim. That's the three all the different names. He goes, they're waiting for him there. He says, but you don't have to worry. I'm going to be with you. You don't have to worry. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to be right there. Now, let me show you some. Can I show you something cool? Yes or no? Okay, good. Oh, Joshua's going to get tested. He's going to get tested soon in this. Now, I'm going to show it to you tonight, and then when we get there in about six, seven weeks, whatever it is, and I'll show it to you again. Okay? Now, turn, keep your marker here, and turn to Joshua chapter 5. At this moment in time, they have now crossed the Jordan River, and they're about to enter into Jericho to fight and take down the first of the cities they have to take down. Now watch what happens. Joshua has an experience. In Joshua 5, verse 13, 14, and 15. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. Oh man, I can't wait till we get to Jericho. Huh? Such a great event. That he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man 
was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, the man said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. Okay, now stop, okay? This is a burning bush repeat performance, guys. Here comes Joshua. He's in the promised land. He's the leader. God said, no man will stand before you. Don't fear any man. And he's there. They're going to take Jericho. And this guy shows up. This, who knows? He could be very imposed. And he's got a sword drawn. And Joshua, it says, walks right up to the guy. No fear whatsoever. And he says to the guy, are you for us? No, I'd be Mexican right now. Or against us. Ike. You know, that's a Mexican thing. Okay. You know. And, and, and he's like, and he's just like, like that in the guy's face. Now, this man he's talking to, we find, he calls him Lord, he bows before him, everything, and in, in the next chapter you find out he's the Lord. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Before Jesus takes flesh, because Jesus always was. Remember? Jesus didn't begin to exist when he was born in Bethlehem. He always was. He's the eternal creator. So here's, he's appearing to him here. He makes appearances in the Old Testament like that. And Joshua walks right up to the guy. Are you for us or against us? Joshua has no fear. None whatsoever. Why would he have no fear against such an imposing figure? Because remember, God told him, no man will be able to stand before you all the days. No man's going to stop you. No man can hinder what you're going to do. And so if you're Joshua, uh, the guy there, kind of imposing, but no man going to stop me. This is what God told me. Guys, is that courage? Is that security? Is that believing what God has told you? You better believe it is. Now, let's move on or I'll never finish tonight. Look at verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. My Maybe my favorite Old Testament verse. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I'm going to come back to verse 8. Promise, okay? So let me do verse 6, 7, 9. Let me, let me use those verses right now. Let me go back and ask a question again. Some of you answered. How many times now has God told him, be courageous and strong? Three times. Good, good, good. Now, let me show you in your notes, three bullet points, the different reasons why they must be courageous and strong. First, be strong and courageous because it is going to be physically demanding. 
in your notes. It's going to be physically demanding. Verse 6, he says, you're going to give this people that land. In other words, you must trek on it. You must fight. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be physically demanding. It's going to be little by little by little. And so you better be ready for some hard physical work. Amen? This is, the, this is the message they should be teaching the young generation in America, but they're not anymore. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. But those who strive and endure and keep going and work hard, it pays off in the end. So that's the first thing he tells them. The second bullet point is this. It's going to be spiritually challenging. It's going to be spiritually challenging. In verse 7, he tells him, be careful to do according to all the law. Do not turn from it. So now enters the spiritual aspect, the law of God. Jesus said of the word of God, of the, his words, these words are spirit and they are life. So this is a spiritual challenge. In other words, it takes guts as you travel through and battle through life and face adversity. Is it not difficult and tough to stick with the word of God no matter what? You better believe it is, huh? You know why? Do you know why? Because you and I, at times, as we stand for what we believe, do we not swim against the tide? You be- right? Do we not face these pushbacks in our life? He says, it's going to be spiritually challenging. It takes guts to live the word of God. Because you're going against speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Look, when it's, you know, never think that you're fighting humans out there, okay? Because our battle is not flesh and blood, right? But what we are fighting is what's coming out of them, speculations raised up against the knowledge of God. Ideologies that go against God's word, correct? So your worldview is always, what does God say? I look at life through the lenses of God's word. I don't look at God's word through the lenses of the world out there. I don't do that. And because I look through that way, I'm going to battle against the ideologies and the spirits that are behind the ideologies of this world. And I'm going to get pushback. And there's no doubt about it. But I have to understand it's going to be spiritually challenging. Don't worry about it, because he's always with us, right? He's always with us. Now, the third bullet point is this. It's going to be emotionally troubling. It's going to be emotionally troubling. Did you notice what he said in verse 9? He said, do not tremble or be dismayed. Those are emotional terms. Huh, isn't that weird? Have you ever noticed that your emotions can talk you out of stuff? Good stuff? Right stuff? They sure can. Uh, now, I think I put it in your notes. Dismayed means shattered, waning, and terrified. Did I put it in there? Yeah. Okay, good. That's he goes. Do not be shattered, waning, or terrified. Okay, I got, I got six grandkids. And I got to stand up to do this. Nolan is the oldest boy. He's the one with blonde hair, my Scandinavian grandchild. <laughs> His, both parents have black hair. But, uh, but grandma on her side has blonde hair. And um, Nolan's a year and eight months. And so when Nolan doesn't get what something that say Lincoln, oh, that Lincoln's, it's her toy or whatever, Nolan, he'll try to get it and she'll take it away. And here's what Nolan does. He's a year and eight months. He goes, <laughs> and boy, that guy can shed tears that fast. You guys got it down, man. Now, The reason he does that is because 
He's a year and eight months. But if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, and you act like that, because you don't get what you want, or don't get your way, then you got some emotional problems. <laughs> and you need to grow up. Because you're going to face stuff. He's telling Joshua, you can't do that. You're in a war. You're, you're, you're pointing the way. You're going to face some, some difficult things. And you've got to be emotionally stable wherever you go, wherever you trek, whatever you do. I say this. Uh, let me just tell you, ladies, something I do in men's ministry. And I've said it here before. But I tell, I'm, I'm tough on the guys because I feel like one of my jobs is, and I know you older guys too agree with me, I'm here to make men into men. Because women want to marry a man. Any amens, women? Help me out here, okay? I'm, I'm working hard, you know? And I know that don't fly out there in this upside-down society. But I really don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks out there. But, but got to grow up. Okay so, okay, so you know I'm limping from the backpacking trail, right? The first time I took this trail, I didn't go five in and five out miles. I've taken it twice before, but I never stopped at this lake. I've always gone on the far loop all the way around. It's a 23-mile trek. I did that two times. First time in 96, I think it was, 97, and the second time in 2001. The first time we went on, and John Sorrell's going to test. He was with me back there in 96, 97. We walked, we had walked in. We were at, I think, about 13 miles in on the, on, this is Saturday now. And now we had to go over a pass and then walk out 10 miles, come out at McGee Creek off the 395. We started in Mammoth, and then we had to drive home, and I had to preach the next morning. We were still at Auburndale, setting up and tearing down. Long, I was young, so I could do long treks. We get to the top of McGee Pass, and with 10 miles to go, we get up there, and I'm not exaggerating when I say the whole thing was an ice bowl. There's no trail. You can't find the way out. And I remember John always jokes, he always says to me, he says, that I said, what is this? Because now I'm in shock, you know, because i got to preach in the morning. So we turn around, I said, we're going to march out the way we came in. We already walked about five miles that morning. And now we got to walk 13 more miles to get out. And it's, I remember it was 1.45 in the afternoon. And now i got to walk out 13 miles. And man... I was in my mid-40s, and I was in, you know, I could walk, and I was cooking and cooking, and we were cooking, and I was pushing, and we were cooking and cooking and getting there, and we were like within uh, Duck Lake's five, so we were five miles from the trailhead to get out, and it's dark now, and there was one guy on, our, on the trip with us. He was 19 years old. And I am not exaggerating when I say this. I'm, I'm 45 at the time. There's also, and he's like, for two miles, he's like, uh, uh, please stop. I'm just so tired. Please, can, can we just, uh, just stop? I just want to shoot him. <laughs> I mean, he's doing this for like a couple miles. I'm thinking, you're 19. You can't be tired. I'm 45. You know, how can you be tired? Or whatever I was at the time. Maybe I was in my late 30s. But, um, no, I was in my late 30s. And it's like, he's, <laughs> and then finally, we're in the dark. We're sliding down sheets of ice, knowing there's a lake down there. I'm just trying to get out. I can't find the trail. I'm trying my best to get out. 
And finally, I just had to pull over, start a fire, and I never made it out. And somebody else had to preach that morning. I called Olivia at about 5.30 in the morning. When I finally got up, I saw the trail. I got out, called home, and they got um, somebody else to preach that day. It was, it, was a, it was a nightmare. But I say that to say this. Life's going to be hard like that trail. It's going to throw you curves. It's going to be tough, Joshua. It's going to be that way. But you can't be dismayed like, I just can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do that. You can't act that way. Or else you're, you're like my grandson, Nolan. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. It's time to grow up. If you, if you do that, if you pout, stop it now. Just stop it now. You'd be strong physically. You'd be strong spiritually. You'd be strong emotionally. Because that's what people follow. And that's what you need to be. That's what you need to be. Now, let me drive it home, okay? Let me go back to verse 8. Did that all make sense? Yes. Okay. Isn't the Bible great? Yes. I just like it. Back to verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. Now, the question then, with everything we've just said previous. How do you keep it together with all these innumerable difficulties that you and I will face? How do you keep it together and not allow life to shatter you? Okay. Very quickly. Very quickly. Um, it's the book of the law. Joshua, uh, Joshua is the first man in history to be governed by the book of the law. Did you know that? He's the first man in history. Now, real quick, just for fun. Quickly, just a few pages to your left. Look at Deuteronomy 31. And look at verse 9. Just real quick and we'll come right back. Deuteronomy 31, 9. This is just a little reference point here. It says in Deuteronomy 31, 9. It says, So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. So God gives Moses the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God gives it all. Moses writes it down. And now they have it in written form. So when Joshua now is about to enter the promised land, God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's written down for you. The first man ever to be governed by the book, by the written word of God. Now watch the instructions from the writ that God gives to Joshua. You notice what he tells him in Joshua 1 8. Go back to Joshua. He, said, he says, This book is to be in your mouth. In other words, you're to what? Speak it. He says, This book is to be meditated on. You're, you're to what? You've got to think it. He says, This book is to be lived out. In other words, you've got to what? Do it. Speak it. Think it, do it. Speak it, think it, do it. What's he telling Joshua? What's he telling us? <clears throat> you got to get this word of God in you. Speak it, think it, do it. Speak it, think it, do it. That's why you can never let up studying the word of God. This is one of the most frustrating things for a pastor, especially a Bible teacher that people don't, Christians don't have a hunger for the word of God. You got to speak it, think it, do it. Here's what he's telling us. 
no matter how contrary the wisdom of this world is that's thrown at you, no matter how contrary that is, no matter how unpopular it makes you or I, this word of God that we stand up for and live it, no no matter what, no matter what, you're to speak it, you're to think it, and you're to do it. You're to speak it, you're to think it, and you're to do it. They call us Christians rigid. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Because I'm not going to bend it. I'm not going to compromise it. It's very frustrating to watch across America some churches bending to the ideology of society during the last four years. No, you're looking through the wrong lens. You interpret everything out there through the lens of the Word of God. You don't interpret the Word of God through the lens of the ideologies. You speak it, you think it, and you live it out. And then he says, if you keep doing that, if you keep doing that, if you keep doing that, then guess what, guys? I'll prosper you, and I'll make you successful. Whatever successful looks like in your life, by God's will, I'll do that for you. It's a great promise. Stick with that word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these great words, God, that you gave to a great man by the name of Joshua. Words that we can live by. Thank you that you're always with us and we have to believe it and step out in it. Thank you. We so appreciate that you are Emmanuel, God with us. You are Jesus in the present tense of our lives. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.